Welcome back to the podcast. Yes, welcome back everyone. I'm Hamish. And I'm Tiffany, or Tiff. Which do you prefer? Um, I'm going to go by Tiff really, but it's whether anyone else feels like doing. <laughs> really, I'm not very fast. Um, Fair enough. But most people go to Tiff, eventually. Um, I wanted to talk to you briefly about something that's been vexing me this past year. And that's something which I don't think is paranormal, but I think... It's something it... I've done. No, it's something that... <laughs> There's a wall near me. Which we walked past, and I did point out, and so that's the wall. Uh, it's, a, it's like a, it's next to a house, it's just this low wall. Um, on, or outdoors, and a way to work. I'm familiar with the concept <laughs> of walls. It's just this like row of bricks that are lined up and stacked on top of each other. And it's just... like some like cement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to prevent, anyway. Um, every few weeks, the wall gets covered in barbecue sauce. <laughs> like <laughs> I was not expecting that no like, like but it like fully covered is it like dripping yeah like ectoplasm like, like barbecue sauce yeah like you can smell it as you get towards the street it's really awful <laughs> and I can't think of a single reason why you would do that maybe it keeps like birds away because I think if I land here they're going to put me in their chicken nuggets <laughs> But I think, like, to me, I thought instantly, oh, it's to get, keep animals away. But I'm like... They probably what? would eat it. Yeah, yeah wouldn't I'd that draw, draw them. them in? Maybe they're trying to lure animals and uh, eat them with the barbecue sauce. Oh, it's just, I don't understand it. Like, I thought maybe it was to stop kids loitering on the wall. Oh, yeah, the good old uh, barbecue sauce pig. <laughs> <laughs> I would much rather kids loiter than have stink barbecue sauce on and like you see it it's, you see it glistening and you can smell it the day it, it's dawned and Justin always goes to work first and then he'll text me saying like it's back the sauce is back yeah but and then it fades over time and then you have like a few days where you don't even think about it and then it's back and you just wish you'd appreciated those days more this sauce just um, stays of mm. glory so doing this podcast has made me think that it's maybe potentially something paranormal yeah, maybe it's not really barbecue sauce, it just smells like it. Ooh, that's more worrying. <laughs> like, maybe that's what ectoplasm is really like, is, like, it's not green, it's translucent, it's just like barbecue sauce. But, like, it puts me off barbecue sauce for a bit until I continue walking and walk past the barbecue steakhouse that <laughs> uh, is on the way to the station and that was the last night. And you get over it. Yeah. Um... Anyway, welcome to the podcast. I just want to get that out there. Just if anyone knows any explanation, like any reasoning for why, that would be really helpful. Um, yeah, if you have any barbecue sauce uh, stories, please email us at thepodcast.gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, we'll do the barbecue corner. Um, whose turn is it? Yours. Okay, you're good. Yeah. You, no, you... I know it's. I know it's yours. Okay. I'm confident. 
<laughs> that was me moving my laptop. I didn't make it. Okay, so this is mine. It's called the Walsingham Haunting. I've actually realised you've not heard of many horn things. Um, yeah, I've not heard of any of yours. <laughs> no. Anyway. It's like um, choosing. I'm going to show you a picture at one point, and it really freaks me out. Of Walsingham. Well, That's no. a pretty scary place. Um, it's a drawing from... A, this is, again, from a book that I read as a kid, which had really evocative paintings. And I'm going to show you a picture of a painting, but I realised actually that it's not that scary. But it is quite scary. Anyway, so I'm transporting you back to uh, December 5th, 1891. Were you there? I was. I was just a child. Um, an article was published in the Brooklyn Eagle about some strange goings on in the little hamlet of Oakville. I think this is America. Yes. <laughs> it concerned the Walsingham family. They just moved in, and Mr. Walsingham <laughs> had discovered some bones in the empty house, and he tossed them into the garden. This happened in my last story. I had bones in the, In my first yeah. story. Like, you just don't... You People don't just keep... You don't chuck out the bones, <laughs> you find. You leave them. Anyway. They initially just heard the sounds of moaning and doors slamming, the usual. Things got worse when their dog, a giant mastiff named Don Caesar, That's a great name. <laughs> started barking madly at empty corners and doorways. It got so bad that they could never sleep, and one time Don Caesar leapt into the air at one of the invisible things it was barking at, and it got knocked back, and he broke his neck. Did the dog die? I don't think so. I mean, the dog eventually died. This was in the 18 and whatever. Okay. Um, then they started seeing things. Mr. Walsingham uh, talked about how while walking in the dusty yard, he'd seen a large man's bare footprints appear beside him, <gasps> as if he was walking next to someone. Ew. One time this happened, he saw the feet walk on ahead and back into the house when Don started barking. <gasps> Good old Don. Their daughter, Amelia, said one night, her bedroom doorknob slowly turned and her door opened and closed gently as if someone had entered. Mm. One night. Now, when, um, when I was researching this, I read an article from 1891 and they used some words very differently. <laughs> so it said that one night, Amelia was sat at her toilet when she saw a ghost <laughs> hand... Uh, so... When she saw a ghost like, hand touch her, but I think it means... Like, just sat in her makeup and all that. Yeah. Or, like, sorting herself out. In front of her vanity. Yeah, whatever not it's actually called. on her loo. No. Um, she, but she was staring in the mirror, and she saw a ghostly hand touch her shoulder mm. but, um, when she was facing the mirror. And when... Uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry, I got very distracted by the toilet. Um, <laughs> Don't we all? When she... Uh, when she saw the spooky toilet hand on her shoulder, it was cold as ice. Because <laughs> it's been in the toilet, um, that's why. <laughs> oh, no, actually, actually, sorry, I got it wrong. She didn't see it in the mirror. She couldn't see it in the mirror. She could see it on her shoulder. <gasps> a ghostly, cold hand. Worse. Yeah. Um, maybe it was a vampire ghost. Anyway, things were spooky, but no one had been harmed yet, except for Don, Caesar, the dog. Um, and they contemplated moving. 
Um, before they did, they decided to hold a dinner party. <laughs> uh, during the dinner party, they started hearing groaning coming from the upstairs, which they ignored because it was normal. Just the parents. Uh, no. What? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, they'd hearing moaning before. Um... But then one of the guests start apologised because they thought they'd spilt some red wine on the tablecloth. But when they looked up, they saw blood dripping from the ceiling. Ew! Walsingham, Mr. Walsingham, um, and some guests ran upstairs to the room above the dining room and lifted up the carpet but found nothing but dusty wood. But while they were doing this, blood didn't stop dripping. Ew. So they moved. And the house no, and the house remained empty after. I'm just, I'm happy for Don. Um, safe. And the house remained empty. Um, and after this, articles started being published. The one I mentioned at the start, um, and it became a bit of a tourist spot for spooky thrill seekers, like us. We should go. I think we should. Um, one of them was Horace Gunn, who accepted a dare to spend twenty four hours there. I wouldn't do that. But this is what people really did back in the day. Um, TV. Yeah, go spend a day in a haunted house. Um, he did so, but discover, but he did so. But when the people who dared him came to visit the morning after, they found him shivering and saying he'd never spend another moment there. Okay, the night before, um, he tried to light a fire. So this is about this. This is what happened the night before with Horace. Um, he tried to light a fire. But every match he striked would go out straight away, and his fingers would be frozen as if they had been breathed on. It's a very specific feeling. Yeah. Like, my finger's so cold, it's like someone's been breathing on them. <laughs> a very cold person. Breath is hot. He was already so scared that he decided just to hide in his bed for the re remainder of the night. Why didn't he just leave? Because he needed to get the dare. He was probably for, like... I couldn't have been that scared, then. It could have been, like, for a shilling, you know? Good money. Um, as he slept, he awoke. <laughs> um, okay, he was sleeping, and then he awoke to a gut-wrenching male scream from un from under the house, <gasps> and the sound of a the front door slamming and heavy feet running up the stairs towards him. It then stopped as the sound arrived at his bedroom door. He sat up in bed, covering himself in duvets, and waited. And waited and waited until his attention was caught by a small white dot on the wall that he couldn't make out, like a star in the night. A little glimmer of light, and it began to grow, becoming a glowing white fire. Um, then, emerging from this bright light, was a human head. <laughs> no body was visible, but it was the height of a man. Um, so it was where a head would be. Yeah. So it's like um, a really <laughs> large head. And it was, he was old, fat, and covered in blood. Um, but he couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman, actually. Um, he had no, <laughs> they had no teeth. I wanna, don't wanna miss gender crisis. Yeah. Um, they had no teeth, were bloated, staring eyeballs, and huge jagged wound on their forehead. And as the head approached him, a gummy smile and eyes fixated on him. The house began to shake like an earthquake, the feeling that the room was filled with dozens of people walking about his bed. 
He looked up one last time and the face was right in front of him. And then it vanished and the sound stopped and the shaking stopped. He made a dash for his bedroom door, attempting to leave the house, but then his ankle was grabbed by an icy hand and he fell to the ground. Then what felt like dozens of hands pinned him down and began choking him. Oh my god. The hands felt weak, but they were frozen. Um, so very cold, but yeah. they felt like weak, old hands. And then he passed out, and that's when he was discovered carrying the night before. That, the morning. Um... That's basically the haunting, but I want to show you, and I'll put it on the Twitter, don't worry, I want to show you a drawing that was in this book of the head. <laughs> and it always freaked me out, but I don't actually think it's very... But I'm going to just show it to you. <laughs> it's <laughs> the Phantom like, of the Opera. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, that fr so this was the page I definitely sellotape shut in this book, but it's very clearly a painting of the Phantom of yeah. the Opera. That's Lon Chaney, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I had never seen Lon Chaney, mm. so, so I just thought just it was thought really it was spooky. Scary. I enjoyed that. <laughs> it was quite that was, spooky. That is, that is pretty spooky. Okay, your turn. Um, okay. Let me take you on holiday. <laughs> to San Bunipero. Really? Yeah. Harold, San... they're dead. <laughs> oh my god. Actually, I'm taking you to Rome. <laughs> As told by Cardinal Bishop Peter Damien... Mm -hmm. He was alive, this is from 1000 to 1000 to 73-ish. It wasn't very specific. <laughs> so, well, that was a long time ago, I can understand forgetting. So it's ancient Rome, but not that ancient. Mm. It's not pre-Jesus. It's not pre-Jesus. <laughs> and he heard this from a priest called John. Mm-hmm. So, very religious on this. I, it's, I think it's the book I got a lot of these from. That's right. Um... Actually, the Annabelle one was in the book. Um, anyway. On August 15th in Rome, which is the Assumption of Mary, the people visit churches all around the city with, like, lanterns and mm -hmm. pray and sing and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. um, and one woman was in the Basilica dedicated to Mary on the Capital Capitoline Hill? Or Capitoline, I don't know. And then she saw her godmother in the crowd of people her godmother had died the year before. Oh my god! Yes. Anyway. <laughs> it was uh, it was too busy to get close to her, so she waited in an arrow lane outside. She caught her dead godmother and asked, Are you not my godmother, Marazia, who recently died? And she replied, Yes, I am. Are you not my godmother who recently died? She asked, So how are you doing now? <laughs> <laughs> Just casual. And she had, like, a whole long speech that was too long-winded, so I summarised for everyone. Mm. She basically explained that until then she had been punished because in her youth she disgraced herself by succumbing to the enticement of wanton lust with girls my own age. Oh. Mm. Um, but she conveniently... When it, <laughs> she uh, went to confession while she was alive, but she just always forgot to mention that. Oh. So... Um, <laughs> So then, when she died, she was being punished. But the Virgin Mary had saved her by uh, praying and all that. So now she was free to wander around Rome, along with everyone else who had been freed by Mary. So on this night, the entire pop the amount of ghosts in Rome exceeded the entire population. <laughs> 
there was a ghost army in Rhone at one point, and no one has ever really mentioned that. Oh my god. That I've seen before. No, that's, a, that's impressive. Yeah. So anyway, these are dead people have been visiting holy places to say thanks to Mary. Mm -hmm. And then this ghost is like, I can't tell if you believe me. Because, <laughs> you know, if it, you're going to talk to a ghost, you might be lying. And the fact that she's there talking to a ghost isn't proof enough. <laughs> so she said, So that you believe, without a doubt, that my story is true, know that a year from today, on this very feast day, you will most certainly die. <laughs> But if you live any longer, which is not possible, you will prove that clearly I was a liar. And then she disappeared. Right in front of her eyes. My favourite thing about ghosts is the whole, like, mic drop of the disappear yeah. thing. It's a good skill. So then, this woman who... They mentioned the godmother's name, but not actually the woman who saw the godmother. <laughs> the, 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 I, this. <laughs> I question this priest called John, who this story came from. <laughs> anyway, she was quite worried after this, so she... So she wore a sackcloth. What's that? It's like, well, literally, like, uh, like you know how monks would wear like hairy shirts to yes. like it's like kind of that similar concept, but probably literally a sack, basically. Okay. So she's going around in her couture sack for, mm -hmm. for like the year and tries to live her life better. Then she became ill and died, and the story wanted to make sure everyone knew. After her death, this woman also suffered f for a sin she had forgotten until Mary stepped in again. So my guess is she was also a lesbian. <laughs> like her godmother. <laughs> so gay ghosts. Yeah. Nice. That is, that is my story. Well, it's we, quite a short and snappy one. Well, we wanted representation. Yeah. I think it's important that it's um, we uh, acknowledge the ghosts that paved the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Like an ancient haunting. Yeah. Um, did we want to tell some of the email stories we've received? Yes. Um, would you like to... Yeah, shall I read one? It's quite long, but I think it'll be fun. Do you want to Which do this? this one again? This one. Yeah. <laughs> so this is an email we got at thepoltercast at gmail.com. Yes. From Bethan. Yes, thank you, Bethan. Um, I mean... <laughs> read all the nice things. <laughs> uh, okay, so she says, so from 2011 to 2014 I worked as a retail and catering assistant at Rufford Old Hall, a national trust property in West Lancashire, built in the 1500s, so it's an amazing location with original Jacobian features and an excellent grade one listed building for spooky encounters. There are tons, oh, and there's like a nice photo, so we'll share that with you all on Twitter. <laughs> There are tons of ghostly rumours about this building that I learnt over the years of working there. The most famous ghost that the village knows about is the Grey Lady, where the rumour is her husband went away to war and never returned. She waited for him but soon died of heartbreak. She is often spotted by, drive by drivers by the hall, wandering up the driveway waiting for her love to return home. Alternatively, wait for a booba. <laughs> um, a booba. A booba. <laughs> The senior staff also constantly talk about a playwright visiting the hall in 1585 called William Shakeshaft. <laughs> it just sounds like a knockoff William Shakespeare. <laughs> um, believing it was the ma main man himself, and rumours are old Bill Shakespeare himself haunts the Great Hall. So they're not the same. Okay. That guy was just like, 
Maybe he wanted to ride on Shakespeare's coattails. I think it's a slightly similar name, I hope people wouldn't know. Ride on is rough. Mm. It's quite a good technique. There's also a really staged and awkward episode of Most Haunted filmed here that talks about the sighting of women in grand clothing and a rough, most likely looking like this woman. And um, there's a picture of Queen Liz here. The first one, not the, not the current one. Personally, if I were a Tudor monarch or a famous playwright, I wouldn't be haunting a small Jacobian hall in North England that barely anyone has heard of compared to haunting somewhere like Westminster Abbey or the Globe Theatre. Am I really oversubscribed? You want to settle down somewhere small? Might be just like a, a ghosty retreat. Yeah. Like when she gets tired of like the Tower of London, hmm. she goes up north for a bit. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to haunt where you work. No. Anyway, that was some background spooks I've only heard about and not experienced myself. Because I worked there for four years, I experienced a few spooky things compared to other staff who were only there for a couple of months. The first things I noticed were the metal shelves in the kitchen banging at random intervals. Nothing had fallen over, as if someone had slammed both hands down onto it, then pots and pans had been a different place than you had left it, and it happened every few weeks when it was a really busy time in the cafe. <laughs> Attention-seeking spirit, most likely. Drama queen. Then as time went on, more spooks began to happen. The pot wash room is quite isolated, and staff often washed up alone, which is when I heard someone saying my name from the doorway every few days. And I'd turn around to see, and there hadn't been anyone there. Classic ghosty stereotyping. <laughs> the corridor into the pot wash room occasionally had a lingering cigar smell in one particular section, so you could stand on one spot and smell it, and then step slightly to the side, and there was no smell at all. No windows and no staff or visitors smoked near this area, it was odd. The gift shop is situated in an old stable building where a groundskeeper committed suicide during the 1970s in the rafters of the building. God. So a lot of the upstairs of the building is disused and no one really went upstairs except around Christmas to get the decorations down from storage. So shop staff are often alone as well. It was a lonely job working here for sure. And I would hear footsteps upstairs above the shop on nearly every shift, but I would just turn the music up. <laughs> One time I was speaking to a staff member at the foot of the stairs and there was a disused room partition antique thing set up at the top of the landing. I assure you that no one had been up there in some time and the antique had been up there in a stable position, position for months. I think because I was basically slacking off and gossiping about other staff members, some ghostly presence was a bit miffed, so the room partition folded up and slid all the way down the stairs <laughs> and we had to jump out of the way. I didn't slack off for a while after that. Oh, God. Okay, now this is the main spook I had whilst working at Rufford Old Hall. Oh, God, those weren't the main ones. <laughs> I find... Never mind, continue. So I even drew him up at the cafe to explain it. <laughs> I feel like such an eager beaver. But we, we appreciate that. We appreciate yeah. it. I'm sure our listeners appreciate a diagram. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put it on the Twitter, obviously. Yeah. So I'm not going to audio describe this, this diagram, everyone, I'm sorry, but... You'll just have to wait to see it. So I, the red dot, was clearing a table alone with my back facing the door into the dining room. In this dining room, there is some old-fashioned photos in a sepia monochrome style of employees from over the years who worked in the hall and the grounds, marked blue. The dining room is full of windows, so it's really light and the photograph is really reflective. So as I'm clearing up, I look and see a figure stood behind me in the reflective photograph, just out of the doorway, green dot. 
Because it was a reflection in the photograph, I could only see a sort of silhouette a little taller than me. Five foot six, maybe. But definitely human-shaped. I whip around really quick, thinking it was a customer waiting for me, and there was nothing there. Insert X-Files music here. <laughs> I'm a bit shook. I carry the dishes through to the pot wash and can smell cigar smoke further into the dining room than where you could usually smell it in the pot wash. I told other staff members, and they didn't believe me, but I definitely know I saw something spooky. There's been too many different incidents for me to think it was coincidental events, and the building grounds themselves are really eerie. Anyway, I hope my spooky sightings have been <laughs> interesting. I definitely recommend visiting the hall, though. There's some great stuff in there, and the gardens are beautiful if you want to go hunting for the great lady. If you have any questions or anything, let me know. Happy hauntings. Boofin. Yay! <laughs> That's pretty good. I still feel the, um, the reason why I was like, oh, this is when the main haunting happened, is I feel if it goes to saying your name, mm. that's like peak get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you've been identified. I know. That freaks me out. Yeah, I wouldn't like it chatting to me. Um, we actually probably have time for me to read out one of the other long emails yeah. we got. Okay, so, um... <laughs> This is from, uh, Ashley, I think, they want to remain anonymous. Mm. This is from a ghost. This is from a ghost. Okay. I'm gonna, they, yes, they would like to remain anonymous if we read it out. Okay. I'm ready. But not really. Hauntings and apparitions are no stranger... <laughs> I've already <laughs> messed up. Hauntings and apparitions are no strange thing to my family. Um, situated as it is in Dorset, often considered to be one of the most haunted counties in Britain, the town I grew up in is an ancient settlement that goes back further than the Roman invasion and as such is steeped in its own strange and ancient customs and traditions. These come with a sense that the odd and the weird are not so much things to be feared, but accepted. Things like the horned man, the wild hunt, and the pale cloak are just sort of are just the sort of things you get used to stumbling back from the pub in the dead of night along roads mostly made for cars and horses with streetlights only where the council deems to put footpaths. Ooh, getting political here. Mm. The hauntings encountered by my family are tied to the houses we lived in. The first one centred around myself in the first house before my brother was born. The house was a two-storey Victorian affair at the end of a row of other narrow Victorian houses conveniently down the road from the local shop. Bright red brick with white awning. My mother was slightly concerned and then chilled when I would report that a white cat would come into my room at night. Now this could be the burbles of... Was he coming at The burbles of a two-year-old... I'm just going to say burbles... With a little too, oh, okay, well, yeah. With little too much in, uh, imagination, or worse, astray. But despite my parents always being sure that the, my window was closed every night, I would nonetheless always tell of a white cat that would enter my room after my parents had put me to bed. My mother, who had her own experiences of the otherworldly as a child, was more concerned about this apparition than my father, who thought it was just my imagination. However, this came to a head when I started to talk about how the cat would whisper things to me once my parents had left the room. Things the two-year-old shouldn't know, like how the local church had to be closed due to a rat infestation, or the death of an elderly neighbour, who I apparently said had uh, had gone to sundown, as my mother had oh copied my into her diary. That's creepy. 
This was the final straw, and my mother started moving me to other parts of the house at night. This, however, had no effect, as I still reported the visits of the cat. Eventually, she asked a friend what to do about this apparition. Her friend suggested that my mother get a substitute for the apparition, and though my father did not understand why, bought me a white, fluffy, stuffed toy cat. I turned the cat. I named the cat Rosa, apparently after the apparition that visited me, and sure enough, the visit stopped. Rosa is still in my mother's possession in the event that the white cat should return. The second house that my family moved to after my sister was born was a large Georgian house built by the miller of the town in the 1700s. It had been it had, had a storied history, being the miller's house, then converted into two separate houses in the 1920s, and then back to its original layout in the early 80s. The effect was a square house from the outside, but the inside was a Rubik's cube of architecture. Doorways that were bricked up by only so far... Um, bricked up, but only so far so they still had the archway, wall finishings, and started as Edwardian circular curves. Sorry, I'm really bad at reading things. But then suddenly stopped in more modern angles, and a floor higher on one side of the house than the other. You get the idea. Yeah, it's wonky. It's a wonky house. We had, through local knowledge, found that the house had belonged to a teacher called Mrs. Sharp, oh, no. who had taught. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, uh, who had taught at my middle school. She was a well-loved figure in the community, and it was her ghost that ha that for some years still inhabited the house. She would never reveal herself visibly to myself or my family, but sometimes you could feel the presence of someone else in the room, often accompanied by the smell of lavender. Other times you could feel her, or more accurately, she would touch you. Yeah. This first happened when I was alone in the living room. I was lost in my thoughts, reading a book, when I felt that I, what I thought was my grandmother's hand on my shoulder, the distinct looseness of the skin, with little flesh between it and the bones. With little flesh between it and the bones. And as I put my hand to touch it, instinctively felt the overpronounced veins and the thin cords of muscles. However, as I turned fully, I saw nobody there, and the feeling of the hand was gone. She rarely made her presence known, however. Um, somewhere, she did materialise uh, on the stairs. As saccharine as it sounds, her kind nature seemed to drive her on even after death, as myself and other members of my family had experienced a guiding hand on their shoulders when carrying large boxes or items down the stairs. That jump in your thought as you are about to fall with your hands full as, a miss, as you miss a step was usually accompanied by the feeling of an elderly hand on the right shoulder preventing the possible deadly outcome. Oh eventually, as myself and my siblings grew older, we felt the presence of Mrs. Sharp less and less until eventually it seemed she had faded from the house completely. Um, when disaster struck my family and my father passed away, my family had to leave the house by the mill as the payments on the ancient Georgian house were too much to keep up. My family now live in a cottage in the middle of nowhere, in what is sometimes referred to as the third house. However, it is not the third house, but the fourth. The reason being we don't talk about the third house. Okay, here we go. Oh, God. This is very well written. I'm not very well reading it. <laughs> the third house had been up for sale for some time. So the actual third house. The actual third yeah. house. But had not attracted buyers. Good sign. An early Victorian abode, it perched at the edge of a town surrounded by a modest garden that was constantly in need of a good mow, peppered with gnarled, dark bark trees that twisted around themselves. 
It was eventually owned by an elderly couple that had passed on and had left it to their son, who currently lived in the United States. Unable or unwilling to return to the house, he had left it to be maintained and hopefully sold by the estate agents, who had done their best to maintain the property, but without an occupant, the house could quickly fall to decay. As such, it was marked as a fixer-upper, however, the extent of the renovations meant the house uh, considerably value only went down and down in price, but its size and location meant nobody would want to invest. This person should write about houses. My mother, on the other hand, a lover of restoration television programs, <laughs> revealed in the reveled in the challenge of giving the house new life. However, she was unsure of the quality of the building work, despite assurances by the estate agents that the house was um, assurances by the estate agents agents. As the house was unoccupied, we were invited to stay the night to see if it was worth invest investing in. We were assured that all the utilities, plumbing, electric etc. were in perfect working order and that by morning we would have more of an idea of what we would if we would like to live there. Good plan. Mm. Being a bit sick of our rented accommodation we decided to give it a go. Although the house had plenty of character its uneven floors and thin staircase um, that wound up the centre of the house leading to, an oddly, leading to our oddly shaped rooms there were still plenty of small things that were evident to the house unoccupied for almost a year. Uh, for one, the trees in the garden had not been trimmed by a gardener, and as such, as the wind blew, would tap, tap, tap upon the windows. Oh, God. And as the heating was turned on, the pipes started, uh, stopped rumbling and gurgling. The house... Sorry, I should slow down. As the heating was turned on, and the pipes stopped rumbling and gurgling, the wood of the house expanded with the heat, expanded with the heat causing it to creak and groan like an old ship. This was along with the inherent detective work of finding things for the previous occupants. The estate agents had not boxed up or led to an odd... It led to an odd feeling in the house. There was stuff. We weren't finding boxes of artefacts or bloody wedding dresses stuffed under the floorboards, but little trinkets tucked into corners. A Polaroid photograph of a collection of dolls. Oh, God. Underneath a dusty old sofa. A pair of what looked like ivory dice in a bureau and a crack, cracked black leather dog leash and collar in the tiny cellar underneath the kitchen. My brother was keen to test out an old camera he had bought on the house, oh, nice. taking what turned out to be very atmospheric pictures of a dilapidated architecture, the compositions aided by the slightly crooked nature of the walls and floors to give them that Tim Burton-esque feel. <sighs> Having been ill... Having been ill-prepared for anything other than sleeping in the house and no internet to speak of, we went to bed early, taking different rooms throughout the house. Sleep was difficult for us, though as the sound of the house settled, the groans and whispers of the pipes and the tapping of the windows uh, on the windows of the tree branches made for an uncomfortable night. <sighs> we're almost there. Despite these distractions, there were no... There was no whispering in our ears, no blood dripping from the walls, or the sensation of someone perched upon your chest. All of us had terrible dreams, though, the worst of which was suffered by my sister. She said she dreamt that she had woken up in the night to find someone bent over her bed, a completely black figure with slothly glowing yellowish eyes that stared down at her unblinking. Yeah. She had tried to scream, but had found all that came out was silence and the figure merely tilted its head, and then everything went black before she woke up in a cold sweat. Uh -huh. 
Before we could actually say yes or no to buying the house, the estate agents contacted us the next day to take the keys and say that the rightful owner had chosen to demolish the property and sell the land instead. This was strange, but stranger still, which would definitely discourage us from living in the house, was when my brother developed the photographs from his camera. Oh, no. Along with the ones he had taken of the old house, in rooms in stark black and white, there were ones that he didn't remember taking. Ones taken at night, with only the street lamp light coming through the net curtains to illuminate near pitch black rooms. One was of the living room, of a sh- um, one was of the living room, of just a shelf of nothing on it, only the outline of the objects on the wall. One was on the cellar door, slightly ajar, despite us closing it. Another was of the inside of the front door, light coming through the small thick glass windows at the top the beams of light creating the illusion of a hand reaching towards us. The ones we don't look at, though, the ones we threw away, were four photographs taken of us from a high angle, <gasps> sleeping in our beds. <gasps> that's creepy! That's so really creep me out. I don't know how embellished that is, but it was a good story. Oh, that makes me feel ill. <laughs> <laughs> Have I we think, got the I spook like tears? It. I've got the spook tears. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Anonymous. You made me sad. <laughs> I'm sorry, but my reading wasn't the most Speaking. beautiful. I tripped over a few times, but that hopefully made it more real. Yeah. That's, <sighs> uh, well. That's, that's like horror movie material. <laughs> that is creepy. I think that should be... Um, if that person isn't scarred for life, I think... They should write a book or something. Yeah, they should. Send it into... Um, Got a few copies. Paranormal Witness. Yeah. <laughs> My favourite paranormal show. Anyway, I hope that has chilled you to the bones. That you're going to find under the Are house. You're going to find in the house. Just leave them there. Don't yeah. throw them out. Um, if you'd like to send in a story, it doesn't have to be that long no. and uh, horrifying. It can just be... Of any kind of... Ghostly nature or scary. It can be about your barbecue mm. sauce wall. Yeah. It can be... <laughs> Just something strange and unexplained. Please, we want to hear it. Send it to thepoltercast at gmail.com. But. Uh, is that all for today? Until next yeah. time. Rest in peace. Rest in peace! Mm-hmm.